Colors, colors. I am a nightmare walking, psychopath talking. King of my jungle, just a gangster stalking. Living life like a firecracker, quick as my fuse. Been dead as a death, back to colors I choose. Colors, colors. Two cops, two worlds, two gangs wearing different colors. Sean Penn, Robert Duvall, a Dennis Hopper film. Colors, rated R. Starts Friday, April 15th at a theater near you. Check newspapers. see that skit from saturday night live in like the farley era of snl with i think it was called rookie cop with with chris farley as the rookie cop and alec baldwin is like the grizzled veteran and it's familiar it's one of the first i think it's one of the first times they did the puking gag where they've got the you know the hose down the sleeve and and they like they kind of reference it in tommy boy where uh they come upon this massive, you know, car accident and Farley's the rookie cop who just can't, can't hold it in and is just puking everywhere. And Baldwin's just kind of like instigating him as the, mm-hmm. the grizzled vet. <laughs> it's kind of, uh, you know, yeah. seeing that skit again, reminded me of this movie that we're going to talk about today. It's, but, it's much like this movie. That sketch. <laughs> it's almost, <laughs> almost the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and David, it's it's again yet another shining example of of uh, your and my backstory, right? Rookie yeah. and grizzled vet. Yeah, that's, Rookie that's, and that's, grizzled. that's part of <laughs> our, our relationship for sure. <laughs> I couldn't ho- I couldn't hold it. All the, the the horrific things you showed me, I couldn't hold my lunch. No, no. It's still today. You're the new guy, and I've got to show you the ropes. That's that's our dynamic. And you're always showing me gross things. <laughs> and that separately today. So, <laughs> and I just can't hold my lunch. Yeah, I I have to stop having lunch before I hang out with you. You haven't learned that lesson yet, I guess. But mm-hmm. here we go. Mm-hmm. Uh, with that being said, welcome back to another episode of Reconsinimation. I am John Diner. I'm David Munchak, and I'm Brent Hutchins. And this is the podcast where we take a look back at some of our favorite films from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And we're checking out how they hold up today. And we've got a, uh, we've got a, a controversial one today. There's a, there's a lot to discuss on, on this movie this week. But, um, you know, just recapping, we just had our 100th episode a few weeks back, or more, a little more than a few weeks back. And uh, we've had Mortal Kombat. Uh, we're coming off that episode. A lot of fun there. Mm-hmm. And now we're getting a little bit more serious this week. We're going to take a shift. You know, we're, we're up way up high for Mortal Kombat. Now we're, we're bringing it down a little bit. So yeah, more um, serious territory for, for intellectual folks like ourselves. Yes. We've got, a, we've got our lighter fare and now we've got a little more serious. So, so everybody mm-hmm. buckle up. This is going to, it's our, it's our serious episode, our very special episode. What are we talking about? So we're going to talk about, you know, what was it? Two years ago, we rolled the dice and covered an episode on a Sean Penn film called At Close Range. And that was, believe it or not, that is our number one downloaded episode of all time. 
That's, that's unreal. Who would have thought that? Wow. To be completely honest, I'd never even heard of that movie before you guys did that podcast. Then that's why we did it. Yeah. Uh, and I appreciate it. Thank you so much for introducing <laughs> that movie to me. It was new to me. Yeah. And uh, it, it's, you know, th- a lot of Sean Penn's early career, we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about his, uh, his 80s films and how dark so many of them were. And, and for a guy just starting his career, he took a lot of chances on some of these movies. And, and that was, uh, you know, and that was a big one, not financially, but I think you know, street credibility wise for, for Sean Penn. And, and this is coming off of, uh, off of that film. And I believe he did one other film in between, but we're talking about 1988's colors. Colors. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. I'm, I'm ready. So let's see if we can recapture the magic of at close range here on our colors show. It was our magic of that episode <laughs> was, that, br- that brings in the audience. Let's take a little this, at close range dust and sprinkle it here sprinkle on. Sprinkle it on. This one's a little bit more loaded, I think. But yeah, yeah, yeah. there's uh, there's a lot to get into here. But uh, Brent, when was the when was the first time you saw Colors? Did you see it when you were a kid? It came out in 1988. Uh, I'm sure, none of us saw it in the theaters. Yeah, no, I would have been too young to see it in the theaters for sure. Um, you know, the thing is, is like it, it was I, I saw it in high school, uh, most certainly when I was working at um, I used to work at a like yourself used to work at a video store, Video Impact, RIP. They're no longer around. But uh, but yeah, when I was working at that video store, um, I definitely watched it. You know, I had seen so many. It, this was like the first movie of many that kind of launched that inner city thug life hood film kind of genre and I had a buddy of mine in high school who uh just loved those movies David Jacks um talking about shout out shout out and uh we saw so many of those movies together and I think that through his interest in those movies and having seen all the other ones I, I went back and saw colors later but at that point like I'd seen so many of these other movies that were kind of you know, obviously different storylines and whatnot, but kind of s- similar uh, themes and, and things like that, that, uh, um, you know, it wasn't, it, it didn't impact me probably as much as it did the people who saw it originally when it came out in the theater. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you, David? Uh, you know, I never got around to see colors. Uh, so I, it was a first review first viewed for uh this episode of the podcast so uh you know and and i don't uh and 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 from that the those early uh you know this is launching that 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 style of film or storyline you know Mm -hmm. uh, material jeez (laughs) you know this is a subject sorry okay you got it the subject matter of this film i hadn't really seen a lot of the other films that would tackle that subject matter where this is like sort of introduce the, the, uh, the, the real situation of, of gangs in, in Los Angeles. And uh, so I hadn't, I had never really paid attention. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I never, I, I wasn't really into gangster rap that, you know, that was telling these stories uh, as well. So it, it's just something I kind of just mostly avoided and um, not, 
it just you know just ha- turned out that way so um yeah this was a a, a welcome uh, addition you know i said in our i said in uh our, our, over the new year of like the movies that we were gonna try to see and it's like yeah. one of them was new jack city it was definitely one I, and i still haven't seen it yet but it's uh um but i never saw menace um or boys in the hood either mm-hmm. so it um that were you know i think bigger bigger movies along that that line so um and you could tell like this was i and i got the sense that this is more from the the cops perspective and those movies are actually from the the actual you know the people from the streets uh, so anyway so yeah this was my first exposure to colors well yeah colors right. wasn't that accessible really i mean it wasn't it wasn't a t a movie you'd find on tv you kind of had to track this one down if you really wanted to see it right yeah but it was also i mean at the time like it was the first kind of film of this of of this nature you know to bring like that inner city gang um you know bloods versus crips la uh kind of life into the mainstream you know i mean yeah like 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 you mentioned david gangster rapid had started uh you know a little bit before that nwa was out like that was definitely a big uh introduction into into that world but but this was the first kind of movie and yeah it was definitely told from the cops perspective uh much more so than than the other movies you listed uh which are all you know part of this kind of uh genre that that kind of got uh that sprung from from i think colors success you know because i it got a lot of acclaim i feel like when it first or a lot of there was a lot of talk like i never saw it but there was a lot of talk about this movie when it came out yep yeah there was a lot of hype about it Uh, you know this this is sean penn at the really at the i I wouldn't say the height of his career but probably the first peak of his career um because he was huge at this point in the 80s and of course robert duvall is always a man of a high level of respect and, and uh, always almost always chooses great films to be in. So I, I can't think of a, he's definitely one. Robert Duvall is one of those. He's like Gene Hackman. He's like Paul Newman that he's always great. The movie may not necessarily be amazing, but at this point in his career, he was still picking really interesting material to do. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, you're, you guys are right. This is, this was the first mainstream bigger budget movie that started to tell the story of gangs and gangs and cops and what's really going on uh out there and and we'll get into we'll get into the pluses and minuses of that and and what this film helped contribute to in a negative way also uh so there's there's a lot to discuss uh the first time I don't think I saw the movie until same thing as you Brent till I was in high school but I always knew of it and I remember my my parents first got premiere magazine in 1988 and I remember one of the first like double page posters was colors it was like a drawn poster of uh maybe I'll tweet that image out but of Penn and Duval like standing out of their cop cars and they're almost like surrounded by a gang and it was just a really interesting looking drawing to me. <clears throat> so I was intrigued in the movie just because of that. But then I never saw it. I-, I was like afraid of Sean Penn at this time because Sean Penn in the 80s was 
I mean, he was like a fireball. He was like a hothead, uh, kind of like the Danny McGavin character. He was always in trouble. Uh, the whole you know, relationship with Madonna was tumultuous. Oh, right. Yeah. Remember that? Like, like Sean oh, yeah, Penn yeah. and Madonna, you'd never know it now. <laughs> right. No. But yeah, you're right. I mean, he was, he was kind of, you know, I mean, I, this is going to sound silly because he's in a movie by the same name but he was kind of a bad boy right like yeah I mean, that, that was the deal oh yeah absolutely so, he was probably the bad boy of the 80s yeah um so to have and, him play like an arrogant kind of young rookie punk cop you know didn't seem like that much of a stretch no i don't think so <laughs> he was a bad boy because he <clears throat> didn't play by the the rules uh right is that right he would like what hit paparazzi and his oh, girlfriend yeah. and stuff like that yeah i mean uh, yeah there was domestic stuff with madonna he was hitting the press uh i don't want to say all the time but it happened sure yeah <laughs> i'm probably much more than like if that were happening now it would be a much bigger repercussion but yeah you could probably still get away with some things back then so I was I was kind of staying away from Sean Penn movies at the time because he intimidated me as a kid. Yeah. Uh, so he's gonna beat you up. I felt like he's gonna come knock on my door if I say I don't like the movie. Yeah, he certainly was living into that tortured artist kind yeah. of actor scene for sure. But I finally once I started working at Suncoast, I found the movie in the nine ninety nine bin or rack. Uh, where I found a few gems like Manhunter and a few other movies, but yeah, it was, so it was ten dollars. I said, "All right, fine, I'll grab it and watch it." And I was very, and then it, it blew me away. I had never, at the time, I hadn't really been, exp- you know, in the suburbs of New York, uh, hadn't been exposed to the gang life like that, and I really hadn't even. I mean, it, sure, it was out there, but I hadn't like looked into it or anything. So this was the first time, and then I think I saw Blood in, Blood out like right after colors. So, hmm. and I loved, I loved, I still am a huge Robert Duvall fan. So yeah, so many, if he's in it, it's immediately, immediately got some credit with me. So, and, you know, but watching the movie in the mid nineties and watching it now, a lot has changed. So seeing it then I, like many people felt like, yes, it was, telling a story of what it's really like and what it's um, the point of view that it's looking at and really exposing the, the dangers of the, the gang warfare that was going on. But now when you look at it, you look at all the, the police brutality that's gone on and the fact that this movie is entirely told by white people. Uh, it's, I think you really should look at it from a different perspective and, and, I don't know. My views changed on it over the years. So Hmm. I still appreciate, you know, I I think there's a lot of great things in this movie and the performances being number one, uh, that no matter what the, the acting performances by Penn and Duval is amazing. There's just, there's a lot of controversy. I feel like that comes with it. Yeah. Um, I agree with that. I'm interested to know like how this movie like came about getting made you know i mean i think it took like obviously like penn and duvall at this time give it a lot of credibility you know and i think you know it's directed by dennis hopper Mm -hmm. who you know like he's an interesting guy takes risks lives kind of an alternative lifestyle you know and i think 
I think that if it wasn't someone like Hopper jumping on and taking a risk to make a movie like this, like it, like, I don't know that it, it gets made and I don't know that you get Duvall. I think Duvall comes with, comes with Hopper because of their experiences and their relationship in the, in the past, you know? And I think, you know, it's kind of interesting. I, 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 I haven't read and I don't know, but I'd be curious to know like kind of the origins of how it, it came about being, being pitched and picked up and, and what the, what the, um, what the like game plan was when they were, when they were putting it together. Cause it yeah. is, kind of, you know, it's sensitive. It, you know, I mean, now it seems more sensitive because obviously like, I still think there's a lot of elements in here that are extremely relative to what's going on today, you know? Um, but this is before Rodney King. It's before a lot of that stuff. So you, you don't have like th- that as widely, I mean, as widely recognized or, or accepted, not accepted is not the right word, but right widely recognized kind of um, police, those police incidents that are, that are all over the news, you know, like that kind of started with Rodney King and it's been Mm -hmm. a big part of 2020, but you know, there's still some elements in here that are obviously like the pin character, you know, he's this overbearing, pushy kind of like could easily be uh, if he wasn't reined in by the, by the, the old, the old veteran police officer, like could fly off the handle, you know, like it's, there's, it's like right on the edge of like kind of touching on some of this stuff without, I think without really doing it and being heavy handed about it, but it's very much under the surface, you know? And I think some of that stuff is obviously much more widely known about now. And I mean, it's impossible uh, for this stuff to happen anymore today with, with just the access to cameras and stuff like that. Like none of this stuff is happening in secret anymore, but back then it was still happening, mm-hmm. but you know, just not as widely known about, you yeah. know? And so it would be, it, I, I'd be interested to see um, how the pitch and, and that got all kind of figured out. Yeah. Well, Let's talk about let's talk about the production of it first, uh, and then we'll kind of circle back to thematically what's going on and the impact of the film. Um, it was a this <clears throat> the original story was written by Richard Delillo, and he is a he wrote Bad Boys, so he's got the connection to Sean Penn there, sure. uh, which is another. Have you seen the original? And I'm not talking about Martin Lawrence and Will Smith. <laughs> <laughs> no, the juvenile detention center yeah. one. Where Anybody listening? beat up with soap in, in pillowcases yeah. or, or is it soda cans in, in pillowcases or something like that. I remember that scene. It's brutal. That, that is a, that is a rough movie. It was much more, I, you know, of course, growing up the bad boys that we knew was the Will Smith, Michael Bay movie, but uh, you know, it wasn't until years later. I'm like, Oh, there's another bad boys. Is it related? Nope. Not related at all. <laughs> it's uh not but a it's a really, really rough movie about the prison system and especially, you know, youths in in prison and and exactly how far things go there. And uh, I don't know, that may have been one of the first movies that really exposed also what prison life was like. But uh, Richard DeLillo wrote that and he wrote the original version of this, which was set in Chicago. And it was about the, the main characters. It was two cops. Uh, a white cop and a black cop, but it was more about drug dealing in Chicago 
than actual gangs. So it was more about the drug, the whole drug trade. So, so is, that, is, is that what New Jack City ended up becoming? Maybe, yeah. Kind of? <laughs> yeah, I think a little bit. But And in the original story, it wasn't even about hard drugs. It was, it was about cough syrup and the dependence on cough syrup, which is a real thing. So when Dennis, Ho- you know, the, the, the script started going around and was getting pitched. And uh, when Dennis Hopper got it, his hands on it, and this was we'll talk about him in a few minutes about this being his, another part of his comeback, that this was his return to directing. He was like, no, well, we, if we're going to do this, like, let's tell the, the real story, not kind of an exaggerated version. Let's set it in LA. Let's talk about the gang, the gang's problem that's going on there. Let's make it about cocaine and forget cough syrup. <laughs> so uh, he hired on another writer named Michael Schiffer to do the, the big rewrite and he's the that's the version that is, really became the finished uh product so that's that's where that's kind of the backstory on the the writing side of it and as far as the casting goes the i don't know if it was always intended for duval but i feel like it was i you know he's so perfect in the, in the hodges the bob hodges role Mm-hmm. And yeah, he's got that connection with Dennis Hopper going at least back to Apocalypse Now, if not probably much further. You know, the the there's David yeah. hears me talk about it probably seven to twelve times a day about the seventies uh, American cinema <laughs> movement, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> I lecture him in his office here at Recon Cinema Studios mm-hmm. at one o'clock, and then at three mm-hmm. thirty we have sessions about. <laughs> new Hollywood wave in the seventies, but every day he can, he can only get out of his office for lunch. If he recites uh, this information back to you, it's yeah, like, pretty much. well, he, he forgets what time it is. And then he realizes and he makes a move to jump out of the office and I'm like standing in the doorway. <laughs> hey, David, have, have we talked about <laughs> the parallax of you? Yes. Reports. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But uh, apparently the original uh, McGavin role was written for Mickey Rourke. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, that, you know. I could see that. Yeah, I, I, I would have bought that. that. So this would have been after, probably after Angel Heart. Yeah, he was a big deal. He was a big deal back then. Mickey Rourke was a big part of the 80s and just as fast, like, disappeared and went into boxing and his career went famously kind of off the rails. Yeah. But... Uh, for the eighties, I mean, he was, I you know, he was like the cool guy. I, I remember Mickey Rourke being like, just I, I, I thought he was just super cool. He was kind of like a James Dean type. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't think he. I mean, he didn't. To yeah, he was a big part of the eighties, disappeared, and then didn't pop back up until I feel like the wrestler. Yeah. Right. The wrestler, and then of course Iron Man too. So yeah. I mean, he was in stuff though right but it's just nothing uh no big name big right big big studio things right well i think the wrestler brought him back into like being recognized as like a viable like actor in mm-hmm. in in things you know like yeah to your point i think he was doing like some direct to video type type work but yeah. like this put him back in the mainstream because of his performance in that in that movie which is fantastic and then yeah and then iron man 2 i think was a direct 
Like that put him back in oh, the, yeah. the oh, mainstream. Yeah. That's why he's in Iron Man too. Is that's the why he's in exactly? Yeah. <laughs> it's always it's always the it's so funny how like oh someone has like a hit or something and then that person shows up in some random project and then like maybe that person doesn't you know they're not in big projects for a little while so there's always like you know the, it's 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 always what the the current not flavor of the m- month but kind of you know yeah yeah. Yeah, I Rourke probably would have done a very good job in this. I feel I you know, I feel like Sean Penn was probably a better choice. I think he just fits better with Robert Duvall than Mickey Rourke would have. That's just my Yeah, maybe my Rourke, opinion. Rourke may have been a little too uh too heavy, too I don't know, too intense. I don't know, maybe. Maybe a little, maybe a little too edgy, right? Like I mean, I think yeah. Penn pulls off that swarmy like kind of douchey rookie thing pretty pretty well in this a good counterbalance to to Duvall but but I think Rourke would have been a little too little too rock and roll a little too edgy yeah you know well like Sean Penn's character isn't really actually a rookie I mean he's a he's yeah you're right he's, he's been he's, a uni he's been a uni but he's you know he's dealing with the the beat you know the beats I think like he wasn't in like because this is about this is about a what a special you know gang yeah the the crash oh, division the crash division right yeah. yeah so you know but he's definitely like he's coming from a place of like you know he he just shows up to calls and busts heads and 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 makes arrests and he's a hero you know and then he's like he he, he doesn't know what he's getting into in a sense of like well he just sees them all as criminals and uh if they've got drugs on them then you can bust them and you got an arrest and that's good for your your jacket and all of that and it's Duvall is showing him the ropes that like that this is not how we this is not how we win this this war on drugs and war on gang violence and all of that which he doesn't use like that kind of language but you know he's showing him that there's there's nuance to to succeeding and because law enforcement and the gangs sort of have to they have to live in the same city you know otherwise it would be like total chaos yeah Instead, he shares a wise story about a bull on a hilltop. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, yeah. It's. A, I mean, that that's a great. That's a great summation of what's going on. Yeah. You're absolutely. As crude as it might be. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, Shall not be repeated here. But <laughs> they play. They play so well off of each other. I think they just. They have a really strong dynamic, and it's very similar to the Tom Cruise Paul Newman dy- dynamic in The Color of Money. So, it, it, you know, mirroring sort of real life behind the scenes, mirroring what's going on with the characters, too. You know, you've, you've got Robert Duvall, who's one of the most respected veteran actors out there who doesn't play any games. He shows up to work, does his job, does a great job at it and goes home. Whereas, you know, Sean Penn's coming in with all this controversy and media and press and he's very loud and a lot of energy and it doesn't really get them very far, you know. Their characters I, echoed real life, huh? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's one of the strongest, uh, you know, parts to the film is 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 that dynamic. And I could probably just watch the two of them banter with each other in the squad car on a patrol for the whole movie and find it interesting. Hmm. Yeah, you know. So it's it's the rest of the movie where you know, age, I don't think, I really don't think age has been kind to it. Um, and, 
you know, the writer, Rich, uh, Michael Schiffer had, had studied, like he'd gone on patrols with cops and he'd gone out and interviewed gang members and everything to get a real perspective. And I think, I think the intention was to be as accurate as possible. Um, and, and that's also part of what Dennis Hopper is so good at. If you look at the films that he's directed, he's always, he, he excels and it's really important to him to have extreme realism. Mm-hmm. You know, Easy Rider, those all felt like real people. Like he was, and some of those were, like they're not really like playing characters. He's just yeah. sort of, it's, that movie is like half documentary. Well, I was going to say, it's interesting because all the, all the gang member characters like seem so stereotyped, mm-hmm. you know, but at the time they wouldn't have been right. Like it right. wasn't like, it, the, again, this is kind of the dawn of the age of the, of the like inner city gang movie. And so, you know, like it wouldn't have been, but they certainly watching them today seem very, uh, very, you know, uh, stereotype kind of generic um, sort of portrayals of, of the gang, the gang life. Right. But like, it, it's, yeah. I mean, cause this is the first foray into that. Yeah. It sort of establishes an archetype for, for what you'd see in, in movies and TV for the next 30 years uh, in terms of, you know, how these gangs are sort of portrayed, but it's, it's while things, I guess, like you kind of said, John, that it doesn't age greatly, but it's, I think it's, that's just cause that's history like this. I mean, I don't, I'm not, this isn't documentary, but clearly there's an effort to go for authenticity and certainly a, from the point of view of white cops working, ga- you know, the gang uh, uh, enforcement and um, you know, just racial tension in a sense mm-hmm. for that. Um, but it's not, it's not overtly racist really uh, with, with the, the, like, you know, the, the white cops aren't, inherently racist they're just abusive white cops you know (laughs) right well well, certainly hodges is not racist yeah i think you could make a case that mcgavin's racist yeah or yeah he's certainly predisposed to see all these people uh on the streets as criminals and criminals should and and he and he's just sort of in a you know uh, a hard line cop stance of you know criminals go to jail criminals break the law they go to jail and there's no he has no thought of why these people might be uh, living these lives and, and and the movie doesn't really attempt to do any of that but it, it does give a, a it gives an effort of one scene to to show that like there's a reason that there's these difficulties on the streets and it's because of a lack of involvement from the city and, and local government and um, investment in the people. So, but it's, it's not, it, there's no message about that. There's not, it's not trying to have a moral stance on what's going on. It just seems like this is just kind of how it is in 1988, uh, Los Angeles. Yeah. Well, well, the, the choice, right. It's not telling that story and I get that. And the choice, but, the, the choice to make it a story about mostly about white cops and certainly from the white cops point of view watching it now, that's a story that's hard to just sink your teeth into and just buy it as, Oh, sure. You know? Oh yeah. It's just the, the white cops just, just putting away bad guys, you know, uh, because it portrays the gang. Like you said, it doesn't try to like tell the story of why are these kids, because they're kids, 
mm-hmm. teens mostly like in these gang situations. Um, you know, it's not trying to tell that story, but maybe it should. So, I mean, by now we've seen the white cop story so many times and we've seen them, yeah, you know, uh, being abusive and being called out for it and getting away with it and over and over and over. And yeah, like, like you were saying, Brent, that's a lot of what 2020 was. That's probably half of what 2020 was uh, talking about. But um, so I don't know, you know, looking at the movie from today's perspective, it makes it a lot harder pill to swallow that I just don't want to see this story anymore. From the 1988 perspective, look at all the other cop movies that were out there. You know, your lethal weapons and God, I mean, they're all over the place. They're ridiculous, over the top action, crazy, you know, car chases. And and this movie is trying to be the authentic version of that, which I I respect that effort and that attempt. And you do even 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 in this movie, you see a little bit of the action stuff like pop in there just a little bit. this movie's also tackling something that's more real, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, you're talking like, like Die Hard. No, there's not, there's not a gang of, of, of terrorists taking over, you know, uh, the Nakatomi Plaza and, and, you know, it, same kind of situation with the lethal weapons. Like those are action movies. This is certainly tackling a much more, um, you know, kind of authentic uh, uh, story, you know, but, at least in 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 that you know like gang violence in LA in the 80s and 90s was legit a thing like it mm-hmm. was a real problem you know yeah. and and there were before this movie released like you know i know we talked about a little bit about like gangster rap but even then like in the news like there's just a bunch of stories around this time that are coming out about you know like people getting caught in the crossfire and these yeah these drive-by shootings and like young people getting shot that are not part of gangs, but are in the neighborhoods. And like those stories started really hitting the news very frequently around this time period. And so, you know, like it's certainly, you know, like I think at the, it certainly brought this stuff up that, that was just in the news uh, and kind of introduced it to people. And it's much different than, than obviously, I mean, you know, Die Hard and all those, those are fun and, and exciting, but, but not rooted in anything that anybody would actually expect to be right to be real. And to be honest, like someone living in the Midwest, when this stuff happens, like probably also had the same kind of possibly the same sort of reaction. Like there's no way this could be real. Like who would, who would do that in your own neighborhood? And, but the sad part about it is that it, it was very much happening, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was shining a light on a real situation and trying to it yeah, it was this was this has to be the first time that it was a authentic look at this situation without doing a Hollywood version of it. You know, with with from the cop, you know, the realism and the way the cops behave and they act and they they work with each other and with the way they do these busts and the technical side of it. And, uh, you know, with the, with the gang problem in itself in law, especially in Los Angeles at the time, I think 1987 was it's was the highest amount of gang related deaths since like 1979. And it was just 
increasing and it was a it was a major problem here but it's also you know it also painted the picture of la sort of being like a war zone which not all parts of la were like like this but no certain areas but not all yeah i mean it made it seem like all of la like you know me being a kid who grew up in texas like i thought there were shootouts (laughs) like on every corner especially you know after you know like the the riots in, in yeah. uh, was 93, 91. Um, 90, I think the riots were 92. Yeah, I'm just dancing around it there. Yeah. I'm bookending. Hey. But yeah, like the riots in 92, you know, like it just seemed like LA was um, just like you couldn't go there without, without putting yourself in harm's way. And then, you know, of course you go there and it's like, oh, this is, like every other town, there are areas that there's a lot of trouble. Like there's areas you need to watch out for and areas that are fine, you know? Yeah. Yeah, this was, so this is, ni- what, 1988, and then Rodney King happens in 91, and then the riots are in 92. So this whole late 80s, early 90s portrayal of L.A. is is not good, and things are really out of uh it appears that things are very out of control here which may have been true you know we we weren't here yet so yeah i I was in you know suburban kid in um northeast pennsylvania and uh you know california seemed weird and like a weird magic land (laughs) like what (laughs) is what goes on over there they got they got they, that that old thing of like oh you could ski in the morning and go to the beach in the afternoon and like oh like what like they they got you, you could do that and there's vi- there's vineyards everywhere now you live like it David desert. now you live it yeah. and there's all this gang violence and uh, and movie stars and movie stars everywhere like every and 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 movie stars all like went to work in limos i thought everybody like got driven to work i just i didn't realize they got driven only to ward shows i did not know they (laughs) i thought the same thing that's so funny i I think it was like the finale of i don't know what show but like let's say it was like cheers or something and it was like to dance and driving his own car to the lot and i'm like like on the news you know and i'm like wait why is he driving his car to work i thought doesn't he get a He's famous. Wouldn't he be driven? Like he's rich. Like that's what everyone in LA is just rich. And then there's like, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> California is weird, man. Yeah. Uh, yes, it's authentic, right? And it's we we've established that that it's it's a really trying to show a real look at at what the gang situation is. But it's also painting a picture of you know it's painting the a racist picture that this is black culture. This is Hispanic culture in LA as well. So where are the films that are showing from, even though, even though this one isn't going to tackle that, the why, why is this happening question? Where are the films that are doing that? So if you don't have those, then you're just painting a picture of violence and people, you know, think that, black people and hispanic people in especially in this area if not all over behave like this and are gang members and and you see it now where there's still clearly all over the country there's still racist assumptions and we're just 
now we're seeing how deep that goes, even in suburban life, you know, making assumptions about probably the few black people that were in your town. I had like four or five in my town and, and each one sort of had a different story and it was not really spoken about or not definitely not an issue that was dealt with because it just, you know, it was 99% white people. So, uh, you know, the, the, the one big movie coming out that's actually trying to be real about it is also painting, portraying them in a negative light. Yeah. yeah, there's there's two ways to as a white person to watch this movie and or there's two there's almost two conclusions like you're either going to say oh my god like the the plight of of brown people in Los Angeles is is hard and 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 that my god like what they have to do to survive and what their what their lives lead to and and how difficult it must be to be be drawn into these gangs and live that life and there's some level of empathy or sympathy and, and try to like an emotional understanding. And then the other one is, well, see that look at them. They're all crooks. They're all, this is, then they, they, they don't want to get a job and they, this is why they live like this. So they got to be crooks. And I definitely know people that would come on either side of that. Yeah, <laughs> on either I side of too. those yeah. conclusions. Yeah, it's interesting because it's like, it's like uh, from what you just said, David. To me, it was um, I I uh, I definitely relate with that kind of first group who's like, man, the plight of the people in LA have it hard. And you know, it's like yeah. listening to you, John. Uh, you know, like I grew up in a really diverse area. You know, like outside Houston, like there was just a lot of uh diff different ethnic groups from from all over you know like it wasn't just like whites and blacks and hispanics it was you know people from from all over the world and it was i feel really fortunate that i was able to grow up that way so like when i saw when i did see the movie like it definitely just kind of fortified that stigma of how like kind of crazy la seemed and how like south central and the gangs in la were were and not that there weren't gangs in Houston. There were a lot of knockoff gangs in my neighborhood who thought they were trying to be hard because they saw these movies. And it's like, right. dude, just because you saw a movie about a gang, like, <laughs> calm yourself down, <laughs> you know. But <laughs> I mean, a lot of lot of lot of wannabes out there who think they're living a hard life, but but not, you know. And and seeing this and seeing that movie, I was definitely kind of like, wow, you know this bloods and crips and hearing all those stories and that kind of stuff. And then when boys in the hood came out, like, you know, that was the movie really that I, I think the first one that I saw where, where, you know, like it was, it was kind of shown to me in film. Right. And even though there had been other ones and like you'd mentioned blood in blood out John and, and I mean, there's, I mean, there were like, less than 10 gang movies that came out in the eighties. And then in the, in the nineties, there's over 50 that just oh, like yeah. kind of exploded because of, because of everything. But um, yeah, I definitely, it's funny because I, I never really kind of thought about it from that perspective that you were just kind of explaining David, that, that depending on where you're coming from and like where you're growing up, like how it could change your perspective or fortify, like maybe an assumption that, that you were making that, you know was not false or 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 is false and and that's pretty interesting i i never really thought about it like that yeah 
Yeah, it's uh, well, like the influence of these movies, like a gang movie to like, you know, and I was thinking like, yeah, the Warriors like really changed things like where people just wanted to like all wear the same kind of uniforms and maybe roller skates and terrorize <laughs> other gangs. <laughs> Definitely a lot of copycats. But no, I mean, it's like, yeah, I think I think I was reading a little bit that uh, with some resources that, you know, like this kind of. Well, uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about the impact, but it's uh, that, you know, this movie kind of unintentionally glamorized what the gang life is for for other in other cities and uh, things like that. I mean, yeah, there's there were gangs everywhere. I mean, like gangs go back centuries (laughs) in a sense, like from the development of the of uh, everywhere. So but it's, um, you know. To, to find that identification, especially I am probably I'm assuming with the youth. And I mean, a lot of the thing is like the gangs that we're talking about, it's really about the exploitation and selling of drugs. I mean, it was the, the, the gang, the gang explosion came from the proliferation of drugs um, and, and the drug, you know, uh, uh, the drug tra- uh, trade, not trade, just the drug business um, in these metropolitan areas. So, they they needed the the drugs needed to be sold and there were people that needed to sell them and they needed their foot soldiers so they put them yeah. in gangs and recruited them and made them part of their family and um you know and it, that's why they always went after youth it was those were there weren't people that wouldn't go that would be in jail for a very long time and they would take care of them when they were out they had a family well, yeah and they're easily manipulated you know i mean they're easily yeah. you know taken advantage of yeah. yeah, and and they address that in the film too. With the frog character actually says that that they are a family, that they yep. take care of each other and they look out for each other, and that's true. But like any you know any business, that there there is a business side of it too. That it's about the money, or it's really more about trying to survive because that's why they're dealing drugs to get by. And then mixed in there is all you know semi-automatic weapons and you know and then with that comes the drive-by shootings and and everything kind of grows and gets amplified because of it yeah but you never see not never excuse me but from this film's perspective you don't tackle the angle of why that's happening that's just right you know they're they're it's definitely from the cop side of things so Yeah. yeah, this movie's definitely not trying. I mean, they're not trying to make any assumptions about how to solve the problem. Like, right, and and watching it then, like, it just didn't even occur occur to me that 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 was uh, an inherent problem in the movie. That it just that did not even dawn on me, and probably really didn't dawn on me about this movie in particular till a few years ago. Really, that um, it didn't really sink in that. Hey, you know, this is one perspective of it, of of a much bigger problem and much bigger situation. And I didn't have a problem back then with it being told strictly from the white perspective, but I do have much more of an issue with it now. You know, the movie is, I go back and forth with it because there's, there's a lot of things I really do like about this, the, the film uh, as a film itself, but you know, there's almost as much that I have, I have issues with. So it's, it's very difficult to watch this movie just without those kind of creeping in without those ideas. 
Yeah. Um, you know, there's a big fallout from the movie as well uh, that I want to talk about and and I want to circle back to with other films that may have been inspired by this and other filmmakers who came to prominence in the wake of a movie like this. But uh, before we do, let's um, let's just kind of circle back to the general production of the movie. Uh, it was shot clearly in and around South Central LA. You can see Watts Towers quite a bit in the film. You, you can tell, you know, I mean, the street signs are visible in some of this. Uh, and some of the montages and uh, th- a lot there's actually a number of locations in this movie that were also used in falling down also with Robert Duvall as a cop. But uh, so there's a lot of similarities between the two movies too. <laughs> um, but there is a huge cast in this movie. And I just want to go through some of the names that are here because this is a launching point for a number of actors. Oh, yeah. um, you know, we, we talked about, uh, Duval, who's coming off of uh, you know so many great films in the '70s, but he's also coming off of uh, The Natural and Tender Mercies, which I think he got an Oscar, at least a nomination for, if he didn't win. And uh, The Great Santini, Sean Penn has got his gritty, gritty films. You know, Sean Penn has really, like I was saying, bold choices for the '80s. Uh, mm-hmm. Start, of course, he's got Fast Times at Ridgemont High, which is and we covered that in the archives here at www.reconsinimation.com. But that's that's sort of like a one-off thing. That may have been his popular movie and what sort of put him on the map, but he's got so many, like he never really did a role like that again, right? I don't think so. Yeah, right. I, I think that's like his one, maybe like a maybe one or two other films down the road, but most of the rest of his 80s stuff is very heavy, dark material. Yeah, that's it. That's Sean Penn. Taps, Bad Boys, The Falcon and the Snowman, and then At Close Range, and then Colors. That's that's uh, and I I really love all those films. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I don't know that he's done any other comedies. Other <laughs> so... the only one I can think of is Where No Angels with De Niro. Oh yeah, which I think that was like a. I think it was kind of a dark comedy and came out. I think it was, I want to say it was 89. Uh, Next, the next year. Yeah. I believe so. That and casualties of war was kind of right around here. So yeah. Yeah. Those are both 89. There. I did it. I nailed it. Yep. You pass. (laughs) But yeah, if you guys haven't seen those and you're interested in Sean Penn, definitely check out bad boys and Falcon and the snowman. Those are uh, excellent films. Um, let's talk about Dennis Hopper as well. So Hopper was one of the biggest players in the early part of the Hollywood new wave in the, the late sixties with, with easy rider and what a huge cultural impact, uh, that film had. And that really, you know, the, the Hollywood new wave starts with Bonnie and Clyde, but really the, the door gets smashed in with easy rider. And that really introduces a, a whole different way of filmmaking, much more avant-garde style. And there's famous stories that maybe we'll cover the film one day about the, the craziness of the production of that movie and how many drugs were involved. And 
but he immediately goes into making the uh, a film called The Last Movie in 1971, which was even wilder and crazier and is a much less coherent film. I mean, Easy Rider is kind of all over the place and very a very different kind of style than had mm-hmm. been around at the time. Last Movie is very difficult to follow and clearly drugs were influencing. Acid. Clearly there was an acid trip happening yeah. somewhere when that movie was getting made. Well, and, and because of the drugs, he was at Dennis Hopper as a person was out of control and people didn't want to deal with him. And, and we also talked about him on our Apocalypse Now episode with the craziness of that production and what Coppola had to put up with, with, with Hopper. And so he really kind of was pushed out of that movement that he helped start. And you don't really see him through the later part of the 70s. And in the early 80s, he's trying to come back. He's got the Osterman Weekend uh, and a, a, the American Friend, a couple of other things. But it really starts with the, the kind of one-two punch of Blue Velvet and Hoosiers. Again, another film that we have in the archives, uh, which could use a little love. If anyone wants to check out our Hoosiers episode, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> go uh, go to reconsideration.com. It's right there. Uh yeah, and that was, you know, he had sobered up by then and was a much different person, much easier to deal with. Incredible performance in Blue Velvet. Uh, one of the most, probably one of the scariest villains that have been portrayed. That is a, a messed up character. And then kind of the opposite of that with Hoosiers, where he's playing an alcoholic and is, but is really sweet natured yeah, just- and his heart just down and out needing, needing a chance. Yeah. Yeah. To, to give him a shot. Yeah. And he uh, was nominated for an Oscar for Hoosiers and, and sort of that w- those were his, that was his comeback to Hollywood and, and from which he would stay and, and really never leave. And in the nineties, he kind of became a little bit more of a studio guy than a sort of more, less of an independent film person and more of a studio guy he did you know speed and water world and those you remember those were the reebok commercials or footlocker commercials or something where he was an nfl referee i can't remember yeah. what it was for but maybe it 19. was like a, one of those mtv commercials that were on all the time oh like the, yeah yeah maybe footlocker yeah yeah but uh but here this is this marks his return to directing uh, and he d- he did do a film in 1981 called Out of the Blue, which I've never seen. I don't know much about. Uh, I imagine it was a very s- small budget with with little impact. But so this marked a big return to directing. And if you look at the root of everything, and the, like we were talking about the realism that he always sought, uh, this is this is right in line with Easy Rider that he's using a lot of real life people. You know, there are real gang members in Mm -hmm. not as any of the main actors, but they're peppered in there's real cops, uh, you know, and that again, helps with the authenticity of everything. So I appreciate that. Um, And when you read interviews with Hopper, you know, he's fully admits that he's, he is telling one side of the story and like this, this is, this is the version of the story that he's going after. He's not necessarily telling the whole big picture. That's not what the story is. The story is about these two cops and their relationship with each other. So sure. From that perspective, 
I think that, yeah, the film works great when it, when it's just the two of them about their relationship with each other. I think, I think that's the strength of the film. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, you can't say, uh, you know, you can't, you can't really make an argument. Well, he could have told this story, uh, this story instead, but like, you know, you got, you got to pick something. So he, it's, uh, it, it can't be, it can't be the, it's not a universal, uh, story that uh you know that covers everything so you know it's from him admitting that it's just sort of like yeah i mean this is the story i chose to tell um and you know it's it's we're because it launched a, an interest in the subject matter and and, and expanded audiences uh, interest in this and really a societal interest um that you know it, this movie kind of needed to happen uh, <laughs> for, yep. the, for the rest of them to come yeah well it, it may have its issues it's i think the important thing is that it was made and it shined a light on the on the issue and other people could expand on that story and start mm -hmm. to tell from the other point of view which which we're going to come around to uh boy there is a lot of actors in this movie with small roles and some of them it feels like don't even have any dialogue so you know on the on the bloods and the crip side of course your big one is don Cheadle, yeah mm -hmm. as rocket and I, he's a great performance by him he's menacing he's uh intense you know he you can tell he's the leader of that group yeah yeah it's good he played this this is like is this one of his first roles yeah, this is his first main, like mainstream role. Yeah, yeah. I do not find him menacing at all anymore. No, not anymore. Not since Captain Planet. You ever I'm see like... that? <laughs> <laughs> Look up Don Cheadle, Captain Planet. It's hilarious. All right, I'll check that. I think out. it's a funnier die thing. But uh, well, Don Cheadle's had so many great roles he's another one of those he's like steve buscemi and william h macy and those guys that he's had so many been a part of so many great films and great performances in his career and now at the like really sort of feels like the later stage of his career he's probably making more money now from the marvel movies than everything else combined sure <laughs> good for him you know works hard his whole career now he can get this role that pays him very well and he can sort of cash in on it. Sure. But, uh, but yeah, this is very, very young Don Cheadle here. Uh, who else is in the gang? We see Damon Wayans as a PCP addict, I believe. Yeah. He's definitely constantly on it. On it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I think his entire performance is 80 yard. I'm not sure if that's true, but <laughs> it seems like it feels like it. Uh, T-bone. Yeah, that's T-Bone. Yeah, and this is right before, what, about two years before In Living Color. Right. Um, so yeah, did In Living Color come out? It Was that in the 1990? Uh, yeah, it was 1990, yeah. But he was already showing up in his, his brother's films. Yeah, he already had family members that were kind of... Yeah. I mean, yeah, Keenan, and, Keenan, and we'd, I, seen him, we'd seen him in a small role in Beverly Hills Cop, and mm -hmm. he had been on saturday night live and there was a lot of controversy that he it's people don't even know that he was on snl he was a cast member never made it uh, i don't think he ever made it to air 
or maybe I maybe there was one skit that made it to no. air, and he had he went off script and basically just blew up, and <laughs> and then he was gone from SNL. So that happened after this, though. This was no, that's this was before. This was, was like before? 80, 86 or eighty seven. No, yeah. I think hey, he was, was on actually. SNL. Yeah, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, but uh, you know, he was one of those like featured performers, and before he even really got going he had an incident and it was uh and then he was gone and then then there was colors then there was in living color so but i think he was in uh i'm gonna get you sucker yeah i was gonna uh, say don't forget right. i'm gonna yeah. get you sucker sucker yeah. and that i think it came out the same year mm-hmm. um yeah that's the first wayne's wayne's production right is i'm gonna get you sucker i don't know if it's the first i i, I honestly don't know that but it's uh yeah, but Keenan Ivory was the you know writer, director, yep. producer, yeah, all that. So. Who else is in this movie? Yeah, then we've got uh, so we've got Grandel Bush, who is a, an actor that may not be a household name, but we certainly saw him in a bunch of movies in the eighties. We saw him in Lethal Weapon, Lethal Weapon Two. He's one of the he's one of uh, Special Agent Johnsons in Die Hard. Uh, he's also in License to Kill, and then and then he kind of I think he's also in Demolition Man, very uh, in the early part of the film before the time jump, and then we kind of don't see Grandel Bush again, but he's also one of the uh, gang leaders for the the Hispanic gang, uh, so you know he's got a featured role in this, and I, I always thought he was a great actor that just didn't go anywhere for some reason um is he the one that he he's the one that died in the shootout with Cheadle, right correct yeah they shoot yeah. each other the uzi showdown uzi showdown <laughs> uh who else we've got uh courtney gaines is uh one of the gang members who is famous for children of the corn right yes and another guy that we haven't seen in forever no <laughs> Um, pop up in a lot of stuff though like he just always had that random like character here well i always thought he was carrot top (laughs) (laughs) when i was younger i thought like oh carrot top was in like these kind of dark movies before he switched over to stand-up comedy (laughs) that's hilarious uh on the cop side of things we've got uh jack nance we see who's a david lynch uh, a David Lynch guy who's in, you know, Eraserhead and Twin Peaks, Blue Velvet, which is probably the connection to Dennis Hopper, thus him getting cast in, in this one. Yeah. Uh, we've also got who R.D. Call, who's a character actor that, uh, my God, has been in tons of things. Young Guns 2 is the first one that pops uh, pops into mind. Uh, we got Glenn Plummer uh, from Speed, from uh, from Showgirls, uh, from a, a lot of stuff. I think Strange Days. I want to say he's in Strange Days. I could be wrong about that, but um, another familiar face from the '90s. And then we've got Maria Conchita Alonso. So same year as a much bigger budget movie, The Running Man. Mm. We've got Colors. Was it the same year? I thought Running Man was eighty-seven. It could be, yeah, well, right around. The but same. right, right around then. Yeah, and then, and then Predator Two. 
Predator 2, of course. That's right. <laughs> How do you feel about her character, uh, Louisa, in this film? I don't uh, get it. You don't get it? Yeah, I, I, I feel like that's part of the movie that feels forced to me. Well, that... it seems like she's like, she wants to live. I mean, I don't know. Like, I just feel like it's a conflicting character. Like, there's moments in the movie where she seems like she's trying to be above it all and then there's parts in the movie where she's like no i'm right in the middle of it you know and it's like well what i don't understand i don't understand what's going on like yeah is she supposed to be the one that's rising above it and trying to get out of it or like and if she's not then why is she pretending to be that early i don't know it was just it's it's a little it's very confusing that's her her character to me yeah Yeah, it's hard it doesn't give it doesn't give her a lot of uh nuance and, and screen time enough to, to really establish it so yeah it, it's going to remain that confusing i think um yeah. you can make assumptions based on you know her being uh having learning that sean penn's character is a kind of a, a you know a violent you know kind of cop you know that maybe that maybe that pushes her toward embracing her her family and the gang and all that but who knows yeah yeah, it's it feels her character feels like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde a little bit. That you know, we see one version of her and she's kind of portrayed as this sweet, innocent uh woman who is you know, growing up as as part of the as part of one of the gangs and or not a directly but is, you know, indirectly. She has fa- her family is all involved in it and yeah. it seems like yeah, like you said she's trying to get away from it. But it feels forced to me that that the Danny McGavin character would fall for her, knowing that she's that's her background, her lifestyle, and he spends his entire days just busting heads with with these guys. Yeah. And then when she realizes that he's the cop who's going after everybody, is when she sort of turns on him, and then it gets worse when he, you know, breaks up this, uh, there's a, another drive-by shooting that he comes to investigate the aftermath and he finds her in a bedroom, like putting her clothes, like I, I, what was she doing? Like, was yeah, she exactly like, what is going on? Like, it, I don't... yeah, I mean, it's, it's alluded to that. She's, you know, just slept with somebody or been prostituted out or something, but she's rubbing his face in it that like look this is me this is the real me this is what my life is really like you just didn't see it but neither did us as a viewer yeah it's Um, just not very well like written yeah i mean her character is very poorly written yeah it's a surprise for the the audience as much as it is for mcgavin yeah Yeah. was was it obvious that she had the gang connections when he first meets her and, and all that well, and the, only, the-, the only time it's really even mentioned is like when he drops her off when he goes to drop her off at the end of the date and he's like you know be careful or whatever and she's like laughs at him he's like this is my neighborhood you know what right, i mean like right. that's the only time that it's really ever alluded to i feel like up until that point and and then all of a sudden he goes in to investigate this this drive-by and she's like in her pink teddy, like putting on her clothes. And it's like, who are you? Like I did, I, for, at first I was like, I don't even know who this character is. Why is she right. giving him shit? Like, and then I was like, oh, that's the lady that he went on the date with. Like what? Yeah. Where did, we, how did we get here? Like, yeah. I mean, really she did, weird. she did mention that, that the, 
one of her, her cousin was the the one he spray painted. Yeah, the but, the kid, right? Sure. Yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah, hmm. yeah. It's yeah. it's it's hard. Yeah, I was injecting a small little love story. I think to to as a, as an idea of what McGavin could have. You know, it's a it's it's to show the difference between McGavin and and um, Hudson, uh, Hobson. Hodges. You know, Hobson. Yeah. Hodges. Hodges. Why did I say Hobson? What the? <laughs> I don't know. But uh, that, uh, you know, he Hodges has it all. He's got the wife and kids and he's about to retire. And it, it's he's trying to show him he could have the pathway. He brings, you know, McGavin brings her to their to the picnic dinner. You know, like this could be a his life could turn out the same way if he really wanted it to. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's uh I guess McGavin's at sort of a crossroads in his life when when he when he starts working for the for the crash team. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Let's talk about their their relationship with each other, McGavin and Hodges, and and that's like like I was mentioning. I think the strength of the film, and you know, I, I like the evolution of McGavin's character through the film, and that yeah, he's this hot headed, um, new to the department. Uh, you know, cop who's just, again, just trying to bust as many people as he can without really putting a lot of thought into it. And then he meets Hodges, who has a completely different approach where sort of the, you know, what you're going to get more out of kindness with people than, you know, just beating the crap out of them. So, you know, when they, when they pull over, McGavin will like race out of the car and you know, tackle down whoever he's, he's going after and, you know, rough them up a little bit. Whereas Hodges will just line them up. He'll talk to them one-on-one. He'll kind of suss out some information. And usually Hodges will get what the info that he's after much faster than McGavin's going to beat it out of them. Um, so, you know, you have complete two completely different schools of thought, but even within that Hodges isn't Hodges makes mistakes you know, he lets the high top, which is played by Glenn Plummer, that character go when he's definitely the key, one of the keys to that situation that had they busted him, there wouldn't have been, the violence wouldn't have escalated later in the film. And McGavin knows it. McGavin knows they should have gone after that guy and they should have never let him go. And Hodges let him off the hook. Uh, and he calls Hodges out on it. And it just it's nice to see that like as, as good as Hodges is that he's not flawless either. Yeah. And McGavin's changing too, by what he's seeing, by the way he sees, you know, even though he is hot headed, by the way he sees Hodges, uh, you know, handle these, that he is starting to see that there's another way to do things. You don't have to just crack heads all the time. And especially when they bust into that house looking for rocket and find the other guy who is killed innocently really uh and then you see mcgavin react to that that he may have been beating people up this whole time but he's never it doesn't seem like he's killed anybody or witnessed uh somebody be executed like that yeah Yeah. so there's a lot of growth to his character yeah i'd say i think he has an arc that that's satisfactory (laughs) for what he's gone through yeah uh do you think, I mean, somewhat, I, I don't like at the end when the, he has the whole like teacher becomes or student becomes the teacher moment with the, with his new 
partner. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Do I don't know that I really buy that he earned earned that that role. You know what I mean? Like, it seems like they're trying to play it that way, but I don't. I don't know. Like, I, I definitely I agree that he has an arc and he's like trending that way, but it seems all pretty sudden, you know, towards towards the end. Yeah, it's 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 fast. Uh, you're you're definitely meant to buy that. You know, he's the new Hodges, and uh, his his new partner, played by Clark Johnson, is sort of the new McGavin, but. I mean, how much time? How much time goes by in this movie? It's probably only a few months, right? Yeah, I think so, from start to finish. Yeah, I, I can't. You know, you can't really tell. Uh, yeah, I mean, it'd be funny if after uh, Hodges dies, if it said like six months later, I actually could probably buy the, buy the the change a little bit better. Just that, you know, time really does have a way, but yeah, otherwise there's no indicators because it's Los Angeles. It's always from the beginning of the movie. Yeah, there's to the no end, seasons. It, like it, it just all like, looks like the same time. Yeah. It could have been six months to a year of activity yeah. between what we saw. And then, uh, and then the end could have transitioned even further. So um, yeah, I, I kind of with you on that, Brent. It's hard. To, it's just a slightly. It's a little bit hard to buy. Um, it just seems unearned to me. Like it just is a little like, oh, okay, that's like I understand like what you're trying to do, but it, it's yeah. not like I don't ever really feel like throughout the movie, like we see moments where McGavin's actually like absorbing a lesson mm-hmm. from. Hodges, where it's like, oh, I'm actually learning how to be a more understanding and better police officer. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think he goes through an, an arc and I think he gets jolted by things like when he sees the innocent guy get shot, and you know, like his girlfriend ends up being some weird like toy for the gang members to use. I don't know. But like, I think there are things that like jolt him, but I don't ever get the sense in the movie that he's like, oh, I'm changing because this person is in, in like instilling wisdom on me. And then at the end, it's like, I'm the guy. And it's like, all right, well, no. Not well, really. I think it's Hodge's death that jolts him into that. Sure. That's another one, you know, another moment, but like, what's the lesson from like, what's the lesson from that? Like, well, why would, here's... why would that turn him? Because think about it in the movie frog thinks that Hodges ratted him out. And that's how the, you know, that's how Don Cheadle's character found out that he needed to come kill, you know, like the the whole gang war started. Right. But that's yeah. not really what happened. It was, it was Damon Wayne's in, in jail. Like right. he's the guy who, who was talking about it and, and heard about it. Like the, he never got it from the cops, you right. know, like, so what lesson is it that happens during Hodge's death that pushes that pushes McGavin or what Sean Penn's character to to make the the change. You I know, think like, probably and this is reading uh, maybe reading too much into it, but probably in the world of the movie, by not having by losing Hodges, McGavin sort of realizes that I think was learning a lot more than he 
realize throughout the film. Like, yeah, he was abrasive back to Hodges the whole time and, and kind of pushed back on him. But without Hodges there, that's I, that, I think that event of losing Hodges sort of opened the door to start absorbing all those lessons that he had been taught. And that's when it sunk in. And I don't know if he realizes like it's almost like he realizes that it's it's he's absorbed it until that moment, you know, where he's with where he's starting to say, you know, repeat back some of Hodge's lines. I don't know. That's yeah. my thought. I don't know. It's just kind of it. You know, like, I don't know that it really works for me, like, because sure. in all honesty, in the moment when Hodges gets shot, like, first of all, Frog says, why'd you sell me out? You know, and then he's like, it wasn't me or whatever. And then he gets shot. You know, this is the guy he has a relationship with that's on the gang, you know, like they obviously feel like they can communicate, you know, and like less intentions, which is mm -hmm. the whole point of like why he's approaching things the way he does instead of a hothead going out and like just cracking skulls and he ends up getting shot. And the dude that he has the relationship with him kind of laughs that the dude just got shot and yeah. that he's dying. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, what the hell is the what's the point in that? Like, what are you learning? What's the lesson there? Like, why is it all of a sudden, what value am I gaining in doing this thing that you've been teaching me that I need to do? If the people that you're building the relationship with are just going to kill you instantly, right? They think you turn on them, even though that's not the case. And then they're going to laugh at your death. Like that. I don't know, man. Well, <laughs> Human beings are complex creatures. I feel like, you know, with him, with uh, McGavin apologizing to, uh, to him, you know, after the, after the big drive-by, um, I mean, I think it showed like he was willing to move in another direction and he's accepting like the, the things that Hodges was trying to tell him. And then, um, you know, maybe, maybe, uh, you know, it's just like, I, I, I mean, they were friends, but again, Frog thought he betrayed him. I mean, Frog just thought he betrayed him. So then, yeah, maybe, you know, for, on his perspective, it'd be like, yeah, well, this guy I thought I had a good relationship and he'd, he'd, he'd fucking dime me out so uh if he dies well you know he kind of had it coming you know it's like sure it's not it's not like <laughs> he, so from that from the perspective of him it's it's sort of like hodges was the bad guy you know he wouldn't have known i mean hodges actually did tell another cop that it was frog but it but it was it's it had no it had no bearing on it had it, no right. bearing at all you know like, well, i understand but like, but I mean, that's also that it's just, this is the, this is the risk of the job just because you're friendly with these guys. I mean, you know, they, they're as cautious to think the cops will kill them as quickly as the, 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 the cops think the gang members will kill them, you know? So yeah. it's, they're not like buddies, you know? I, so. I think that none of it would have bothered me if they hadn't put like the little coda on the ending with, with the new cop and he's supposed to now be the Hodges thing. Yeah, like I just I, don't think I just don't think the way that they get there gives me a sense of a like strong enough example for why you would want to end up there. The, the best way to have done it would have been uh, seeing uh, McGavin dealing with gang members, like how he actually would have approached sure. a bunch of a bunch of teens on the corner. Yeah, but yeah. we he just but he's just he's just being contrasted to a guy that was much like himself. So yeah, yeah it yeah, just exactly. doesn't it just doesn't work. You know, it, well, it, it, or, it's or less here's, effective. Here's the easy yeah. fix: you just throw a one, you know, one year later or whatever, five years later, you put a little bit of gray in Sean Penn's <laughs> hair, 
and then you do that scene and then it all works then yeah it's got a baby on board sticker on the back <laughs> of the patrol car yeah 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 i don't know i mean i just thought that it was like kind of a weird like i think it was a cheap attempt at trying to like put a bookend on something that yeah. was like pretty much yeah like worthless like not really like it it you know I, I mean, I, I enjoyed the movie. It probably sounds like I think it sucked, but I, I actually like the movie. I just think that that was weird. Like it's yeah, just it's a little bit of a misstep. Yeah. Well, I, I think overall the, the movie is unclear what the message is. Um, you know, yes, it's shining a light on things and it's per- showing this relationship between these two officers, but what are you left with at the end? There's not really a, a clear theme that it's that that you're walking out of the theater with other yeah. than you know the, it's it's tough out there you know it's yeah. like it's a shitty situation for everybody it's yeah. not saying a lot yeah it's dangerous it's dangerous and it's happening and i think it's mm-hmm. to make i mean i think honestly it's like an awareness level like yeah again, because it's kind of the first thing so but I, that little piece at the end is just like i don't know it seems like some executive was like, you know, it'd be cool. And it's, yeah. you know, it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. It feels like that studio add on ending. Yeah. Well, I could not end the movie. You can't end the movie with him screaming up at a crane shot. No, <laughs> you can't do that either. You so could that, now. No, but, but you there's, shouldn't. <laughs> there's other ways. There of, are other ways you could tie it up though. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's still get that. Like, Hey, he's, he's grown. He has learned something like, yeah. uh, you know, what what you guys are saying, like seeing him, you know, the difference in the way he busts somebody or pulls somebody over would have yeah. been a, a better impact than just him sort of banter with this new young cop. Exactly. Is this also the movie that started the wave of that screaming up at the crane shot? I don't know. Well, I mean, Shawshank is the huge one. But this That's, is before Shawshank. Oh yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Shawshank's the epic one. But yeah, this might be this might be one of the early ones. We'll have I to mean, research that. When I saw it, I was like, "Oh, that's so cliche." But I was like, "Wait a second, that's eighty-eight. Let's get old. you know what? Maybe not. Let, let's get uh, let's get our intern Ryland on onto that one. Let's get him in the studio and watching every film before Colors and find out if any of them have that shot. Yeah. All right, Rilo, that's that's you. Get on it. <laughs> Um, you know, one other thing I did really, there's two other points I want to talk about the film. One thing I really did like was I, I like the tone of the movie in that it, it felt like imminent danger all the time. You know, you, you felt like this sense of tension that something's going to go down between these guys, you know, you don't know where or when it's going to be, but I, I really, I did like that. I usually don't enjoy that anxiety feeling but uh i think it worked for this movie that it's all building to something something's going to happen here so uh i i I did enjoy that yeah there's definitely a tension throughout right like even in the even in the police like precinct like with like at the at the at the jail and you know i mean it's just everywhere well, innocent people are getting killed all over the place in this movie. There's the drive-by shootings. There's the the cops busting into places and killing people who aren't their target. And, uh, you know, so it, it's all fair game at this point. Yeah. Uh, 
the other kind of huge thing that we haven't really talked about is do you feel like it's promoting police brutality? I mean, it's just so like casually being done in the film that maybe that's another, I, I don't think Hopper was trying to make a statement against the police because of how many police were involved in the making of the, the technical advising. Uh, and it was just something that happened back then. But now obviously there's such a brighter light being shined on uh, how police are handling situations and how quickly they resort to violence to, to shut something down. I mean, he's like McGavin's like beating the shit out of almost everybody he's got his hands on. <laughs> and it's just kind of like brushed over in the film. Well, again, I think this is another one where it's like pre Rodney King and post Rodney King. It's definitely yeah. a different, mm-hmm. a different vibe. Right. And so I think that, I think what it touches on is that there is, there's even though not as widely talked about until, and I, until Rodney King, there's police violence happening. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's not, it's not all, it's just like in real life, it's not, it's not all police, it's some police, there's good and bad on both sides and, you know, but, but it's doing it pre Rodney King. So it's, it's not, you know, like it's, it's just a piece of the movie. It's not, it's not like the centerpiece. Whereas like now I think if they did it, it would be much more focused on it. It would be much more like confronted than it was then so it's it's so throwaway in this because you know like they want to acknowledge that it happens but at the same time like it's it's hollywood acknowledging that it happens before the rest of the the world has had it thrown in their face mm-hmm. as much as 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 much as it has recently certainly but with the rodney king fight uh, rodney king um you know uh brutality yeah it's uh another part of the film that's uh, just harder to watch now, just, just how much it's just something that happens. It's just the way they did it back then. Well, and it's supercharged now, you know I mean? The yeah. thing is anytime you see it now, it's like, it's such a, it's after this last year, I mean, and obviously leading up to this year, but like this last year was, it was, you know, just such a centerpiece to, to, all the tension that the U S has been going through, mm-hmm. you know, that, that it's hard to watch it now and not just be like completely disgusted by it. Um, I mean, you should be completely disgusted by it anytime, but it's just like, it's, it's so disgusting uh, because you know that it's happening so frequently, you know, and it's like, man, this is, you know, I, I don't know. It just feels like one of those things that, it's been happening too long. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, later in the year in 88, uh, NWA releases fuck the police. Oh, straight out of Compton and fuck the police yeah. is one of the, uh, big tracks. And I mean, it's that, that created a lot of controversy, uh, in mainstream news media because it's sort of like, you know, that's, you don't say fuck the police. You're supposed to trust the police. You know, they're, they're police are the to, good they're, guys. They're the good guys. They're always been the good guys. And it's the perspective of how uh, black and brown people have always had to struggle um, no matter what their status 
in the in this country is um, against a police force um, as a as a sort of a vestige of you know the modern modern police is essentially when when slavery ended and then these forces were created in these communities to to continue to keep keep the free black man uh black people uh from from really making their way forward and it's like that the modern modern police in prison is based out of this is what happened after slavery um uh and it's so this is what we continue to deal with in this country and the the fact that there's a voice in any way that that shows yeah they, like this movie showing the the police action is sort of matter of fact um and i think yeah without making a statement about it um but you can take a you know i i think of that i think of like sort of the you know sean penn is like screaming his head off every time he enters a room or yeah. dealing with a guy and it's like imagine like imagine anyone with a gun coming up on you and talking to you like that and then imagine you know that happening to you every week or whatever because you're mm. you're targeted you know you're yeah. you're profiled you're who you're associated who you're associated with what the color of your skin is and it's sort of um and so yeah with like with nwa saying fuck the police and and then public enemy a few years ago 911 a joke and there's i mean just and everything about the culture of being black in, in america and in a in a certain in, uh in certain communities and everything i mean it's it was it was it was trying to break through into the mainstream to like, listen, listen to what's happening. This isn't, these aren't made up. And it, for, for white people from a suburban area, it's, it seems so foreign. It just didn't make sense. Like, what are you talking about? Um, yeah. So this is, it was, I, I have to give the movie credit for at least trying to be realistic. I thought actually they'd be a little more violent, but I think that's more of a late nineties, early two thousands thing. Yeah. I'm thinking of like the shield Yeah. where yeah. Yeah. I, I the shields I, I really enjoyed the shield when it was when it existed uh everyone was first on and everything um and I have I think if I were to watch it again now it'd be really really different a di different viewing not that I was like rooting for the, the the criminal murderer cop at the centerpiece of the show Michael Chiklis's character but also like it was a it was a gang task force it was yeah. about a gang task force and how he was manipulating his way through but it certainly never touched on like it, it did have social commentary about, you know, living in uh, L.A. in in these gangs and and uh, these criminal elements. But it certainly still uh, doesn't go. It, I don't think it went far enough, you know, and it wasn't really about them. It wasn't about the criminal element. It was a right. like, no, criminal that was, was about the was cops. A, the criminal cops. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, it's so I'm just kind of rambling here, but um yeah the the it's hard to, it's it's to in this day and age it's hard for me to enjoy cops as like a a job in in, in my media like uh well these days we've seen so much of the cop story for you know especially in the 80s all the way through the 90s and now we have a better understanding of it's a complicated job and these guys are not always they're sent to situations that maybe they shouldn't be, you know, I mean, we're getting into a whole other area here, but 
you know, domestic things that aren't really violent related, that there's mental health issues, that they're not equipped to handle those situations and things get out of control very quickly. And, you know, we'll see, uh, you know, how that ends up turning out. But yeah, I, I agree. I mean, we, we've, we've heard the cop story, you know, and yeah. And we'll still cover plenty of cop movies <laughs> and our, our, uh, our wide range of things we'll talk about on this show. But um, yeah, you know, the, the, I'm glad you brought up the NWA cause you know, that song opened a lot of doors. So did this movie for other filmmakers to come in and start telling the other side of that story. You know, Brent and I were talking the other night about Spike Lee and John Singleton yeah. that if it yeah. weren't, weren't for, I really think if it weren't for this movie starting the conversation, you know, and those guys taking it to the next level, like you wouldn't have had to do the right thing and you wouldn't have had a uh, boys in the hood and a higher learning that, um, you know, and each of those guys are interesting, of course, interesting filmmakers to look at and, and require their own deep dives on those films in particular. But uh yeah, they. I mean, they have the whole opposite end of it. That you watch those movies, and it's certainly not showing the cops as the the quote unquote good guys. Um, you know, it's right. that. You know, these guys are being profiled and they're being uh, stereotyped, and you know, there's violent action happening against them, and especially do the right thing. I was very disturbed by that movie when I saw it, and and Boys in the Hood. I think because of Do the Right Thing. I stayed away from boys in the hood till I was towards the end of high school when I finally saw that. And I was like the last person I felt like to see that movie, but um, you know, John Singleton has got a much different, he's got a different tone than yeah. <laughs> yeah. He comes in with a sledgehammer. Like, yeah. You know, like I think we were talking yesterday about just, you know, Spike Lee brings a lot of like, nuance and and stuff to his filmmaking you know it's character driven like dialogue and conversational and and you know like um singleton is just like you know he brings the sledgehammer he's bringing like fire and you know there's a little bit of anger behind his yeah his his stories and what and what he's portraying you know yeah, there's um, anger and sadness. It's absolutely that, especially in Boys in the Hood and Higher Learning, that really come out that you can feel those feelings. Whereas Spike Lee is a little bit different. He's got more of a, a crafted story, and and yeah. um, I'm yeah. I, I mean, I'm not going to compare the two filmmakers to each other, but they're it's just a different way of telling each of those stories, and mm -hmm. um, yeah, really interesting that without colors though you wouldn't have necessarily had those movies i mean maybe you would have but um it's certainly helped that perspective get out there yeah by forcing the issue really it's uh that's what it did so and then you've got ice t's colors uh part of the soundtrack to the film Probably the thing I knew most about the movie until yeah. I finally saw it. In high that that song is uh, it's hard it's hard to quit that song. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right. So let's talk. Should we talk a little box office and see how the movie did financially? Yeah. What it was up against. Let's. 
All right. So the film comes out uh, and it shot all through Los Angeles in 1987. It comes out April 15th, 1988. Had a $10 million budget. Uh, opening weekend, $4.7 million. Mm-hmm. So pretty good. It, uh, it opens up at number two. Uh, the, the other new film, very similar film, The Return to Snowy River. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. So yeah. you got... Complete Again, knockoff. We call that counter programming. Um, <laughs> it, uh, but it couldn't. Uh, it, it debuts at number two. Couldn't take out Beetlejuice at number one, uh, but does make it ahead of The Last Emperor. So uh, it ends up with a total of, uh, I believe, forty-six million domestically. Uh, it ends up number twenty-four of nineteen eighty-eight, right between Nightmare on Elm Street four and Young Guns, which we've covered here on on the show. So that's a pretty, you know, and, and with the cultural impact on top of it, I think it's a pretty, that's a pretty solid turnout for Dennis Hopper's return. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, we call this a hit um, and a creative win for Hopper and Penn and Duval at the time, especially um, clearly we've, we have our, our feelings about how it's aged. So I don't know, you know, Pluses to me, this movie is just filled with pluses and minuses. That you've got the interesting character dynamic between McGavin and Hodges, and you've got the great performances by those two actors. Um, a good directorial effort on Dennis Hopper's part, but then you got the other side of the um, you know strictly white perspective and point of view, and you know the casual police, you know look at police brutality and. Um, the, I don't know if it's intentional or unintentional, but the racism that was created by the film or was, was encouraged by the film, um, especially to those unfamiliar with what life was really like in those areas. So I don't know, I'm mixed, you know, if, if I've got to rate it on our, our Recon Cinema scale from one to 10, I'm probably going to give it like a. I'm going to give it like a six. Yeah. That's kind of where I'm at. Like a six, 6.4. Yeah. I'm probably right in that same area. Yeah. Probably six, six ish between six and 6.5. I could live there. Okay. Yeah. For, for historical purposes, it's a necessary film, but for, for what came after there's many films that, you know, just do it better. And, uh, uh, but uh, this is a, this is a touchstone kind of film yeah uh, to kick things off yeah i think from that I, I think it is an important film from that perspective just but but you have to like see it under understand that it, it really is from one perspective so of course you're not getting a global look here and maybe not the most interesting perspective <laughs> yeah right yeah probably not the right perspective probably, <laughs> yeah, yeah like, actually i think you're right i think it's, it's from the like, incorrect it's, perspective it is the incorrect perspective yeah but I do think, like John touched on, it does open the door for for the other filmmakers to come in and start telling it from the right perspective. Like, right, it, of course. even it, if it raises awareness so that people know that it's happening, and it gives people a voice to start to start shedding better light on it. You know, Absolutely. and I think I think that that part of it is is really valuable. You know, I mean, um, I mean, Lean on Me, like that that movie's rad. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and written by written by the same writer too. Is it really? <laughs> yeah, 
I actually, I haven't seen it in a long time, but that's the other thing. Like there's the perspective, like you have the cop perspective, you have the gang members perspective films, you have the, the educators perspective films, yeah. you know, like, so, I mean, and, and it's all just in an effort to, to show like the, the uh, lack of, of, you know, mutual justice between, between all these different groups. Mm -hmm. It's, it's uh, I think, I think worthwhile in that, in that regard. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, we've had a, a heavy episode here. Let's, uh, before we go, let's, let's lighten things up a little bit. Let's, let's talk about movies in general in 1988, a big year. We've covered it a number of times on this show, um, you know, without realizing it, but let's do, let's go around and talk about our top five movies from 1988. I will, uh, I'll go first. I'm going to go with number five for me, the naked gun. Huh. There you go. Saw yeah. it in the theaters, loved it. Think it's still at least the first one still holds up. Uh, Leslie Nielsen at his, you know, really again at the top of his game. Uh, oh, hilarious, still hilarious. Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, uh, but that's probably my yeah, that's probably my fifth one too. Sure, yeah, I love Naked Gun. It's on my list. I picked just five movies of '88 that I really like, so it's not necessarily my top. I'm I'm now I'm now ranking the five that I picked uh, because I don't want to not do this right. But <laughs> but I also did how David did and just picked. Well, I actually have a list of like twenty here. Yeah, I know. That's but <laughs> I'm now narrowing it down. I, I don't know, David, if you want to go next since you're you're on it. Oh, okay. Uh, probably uh, a they live. Uh, Ooh, Carpenter. Yes. Yeah. Really, really enjoyed that one. Didn't understand it the first time. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I don't think I understood what the message of They Live until much later. Like, <laughs> I saw it as a kid. So, yeah. I, yeah. I was a nine year old at some point. So, right. no, didn't really get it. But I'm going to have, I'm going to have some duplicates here with you guys. That's fine. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm going to, I'm going to go in order. So, five young guns. Boom. I'm going to go okay. with the Young Guns. Yeah. Sure. Saw it at the theater with my dad. It's one of those childhood memories. I'm all for it. That won't be the last time you hear that name in our list here. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, nice, Young Guns. Uh, number four for me, again, I was fortunate to see it with my grandma in the theater, Beetlejuice. Mm -hmm. Nice. Mm -hmm. So the, the Tim Burton, probably one of Tim Burton's best films that holds up great. Well, I'm sure we're going to cover it here. Very young-looking Alec Baldwin. Michael Keaton is amazing. Um, a really solid mix of comedy and comedy, drama, horror. Like it's all kind of mixed together there in that Tim Burton way. Uh, but yeah, Beetlejuice comes in number four for me. Nice. What about you, Brent? What's your number four? My number four is a movie called Lady in White. Oh. I don't know if I don't know if either of you guys Ooh. have seen that one, but it's it's. It's a great little ghost story. Uh, it's got Lucas Haas in it. And basically he plays a kid who gets locked in a school closet over the weekend. And the school is haunted by um, a lady in white. Mm. And so it's kind of the story of he discovers uh, kind of what happened to her. But it's, it's awesome. It's really hard to find uh, nowadays, but it's great. Awesome. Yeah. 
That's a bold choice. I love it. I'm I, hey, I'm going I'm going bold in in some in, well <laughs> that's probably the boldest right there. <laughs> what about you, David? Uh, three <laughs> uh, third ranking third uh, twins. Wait, what did you say four? Oh, was five Naked uh, Gun? And... Naked Gun was five for me. So okay. that's why yeah, I went. That's, so yeah, and then Layla was four. Right. And then Twins with DeVito. Schwarzenegger. Twins. Third. A lot of fun on nice. that one. Saw that in the theater. Good. Yeah. It's that... not a great movie, but it's, I haven't seen it in years, but I have a warm, affectionate feelings for it. Yeah. Uh, I, that's one I want to I wanna watch again soon and see, see if it holds up, because I remember loving it. But again, I haven't seen it since like it was came out on home video. Yeah. Uh, nice. All right. Uh, number three for me, I'm going to go with our good friend Jamie Lee Curtis in A Fish Called Wanda. Mm, yeah. I love this yeah. movie so much. Another part of the grandma collection for me, but Kevin Klein's amazing. John Cleese and Michael Palin, uh, hilarious and such a good dynamic between the four of them. A great action comedy caper film that uh again works great and I, I look forward to deep diving that one as well nice awesome. uh my number three is gonna be big mm. little tom hanks classic oh Absolutely. hanks have we not covered hanks here on the show uh i don't did, think we uh, have no we did um what do you call it the baseball movie oh <laughs> league of the uh, road yeah, yeah that's right yeah, yeah. Right, but I don't really like. Yeah, he's in that, but like, I know I don't, it's not a Tom Hanks. It's movie. not a Tom Hanks movie. He's well, in. he's been on the show. Well, you're right, and <laughs> he, we're, we're gonna have to change that. We're gonna have to change that soon. So, yeah. well, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Listen, uh, there's a bunch to talk about. So, uh, sure is. Uh, two for me, uh, Beetlejuice. Yep, love Beetlejuice. Watched that a million times. Uh, <laughs> love it. Michael cool. Keaton is everything. Nice. And uh, I'm going to go with number two. Again, one of our early episodes. Brent, you said it already. Young Guns, which you can hear our deep dive and you can hear David and I argue about the merits of Young Guns. Garbage. <laughs> not archives. Oh, David's not, on, David's not on the plan. He's not on the... He's, he's different, different. Total trash movie. <laughs> oh, man. All right. I couldn't be more excited to see what the hell they're going to do with Young Guns 3 that just got announced. So, oh, yeah. Is it old guns? Is it, I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, all right. My number two. This is the only one on my list that I did not see at the theater with my family, uh, but it has been mentioned here already. They live. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Nice Carpenter work. classic. It's so good. Great. Probably probably the last, maybe the last great Carpenter movie, or at least the end of that run in the 80s. Mm. Yeah. Mm. David, mm-hmm. what's number one for you? Oh, number one, uh, I picked Big. Hey, all right. Really like Big. All right. It, norm, it probably would have been Who Framed Roger Rabbit, but uh, it's going to be Big. Well, you were scared to put Who Framed Roger Rabbit It's on just there. like that's an easy one. Yeah, that's a, that's a crowd pleaser. Yeah, I had it. I scratched it off my like I had it, and then I was I like, Roger Rabbit. I, yeah, I mean, for it, sure. I mean, it probably is my ultimate '88 movie uh, for me, but I'm not putting it on this list. Big Tom Hanks. Okay. Hanks makes it. Ma- makes it. Hanks is yeah. on the list. Um, Hanks. 
my number one is uh again another movie we covered early in uh year one it's die hard nice right, yeah, yeah, yeah. can't go wrong with john mcclain in part one at least so nice Absolutely. total other end of the spectrum as far as cop movies go from colors yeah so <laughs> yeah but the yeah. perfect it's the perfect action movie so i will always love die hard imagine mcgavin and in, in, in nakatomi plaza oh. yeah oh, and, the the- and my number one it's not the first time we've heard this one beetlejuice there it is yeah there you go there yeah. you go yeah. My yeah. One. But there's Spence. a lot. There's a lot of yeah, there's so much here. more. Oh, Brent, you you didn't put dead heat on there. Uh, it's written down right here <laughs> underneath Beetlejuice. It just didn't make the cut. Dead yeah. heat, child's play, Scrooge. I got twins. I got Rain Man. Yeah. Sure. And there's oh, Rain Man. Oh, I, yeah, I can I can tear that movie apart. Great special outdoors. Shot. You could keep yep. that to yourself, John Donner. <laughs> Special, yeah, special shout out to Great Outdoors and License to Drive. Yep. Uh, I, got, I even got Alien Nation on this bad boy. I got <laughs> I got Heathers, I got Bull Durham, I've got Friday the thirteenth, part seven. Yeah, I do. All big that. favorite there. Um, and we covered so many eighty-eight movies. We've covered uh recently we covered Shoot to Kill and Scrooge. We've covered Young Guns, Die Hard, Midnight Run, and now Colors. So Oh my we're god. Just, we're working our way through eighty-eight from top to bottom and so many of those other ones I want to good year. We got a long time to go, guys. So absolutely. Yep. Um, no mention of coming to America. I'm just gonna throw it out there. Since oh man, America, I, yeah. no, that's also like I felt like that's a go-to. It's an easy one. Like yeah, you know, I, it would have been like Roger Rabbit, Coming to America, Beetlejuice, Naked Gun. Yeah, and and probably Big. Those in that order, probably. <laughs> right. If I, if I would do it like from a pure visceral entertainment perspective for me but yeah i wanted to make sure i got i got some of the other ones that I really, really good yeah good good you guys check out lady in white i will sure. I'm, that's we'll i'm gonna add it to my list yeah get it from uh get it from the video tech, video tech. yes <laughs> or soon to come video idiots one of one or the other they're coming back um all right cool well that is gonna wrap up our episode today uh i'm glad we got to get back in the studio together and deep dive a controversial film uh which you know it's it's always i always enjoy doing those with you guys so thanks thanks for getting back in the studio so uh that's gonna wrap it up uh don't forget to check out our friends uh laser graves uh, our friend ek wimmer that's his podcast where he takes a look back at uh pop culture things from the 80s uh it's a great show so uh thank you to him for doing the the music and thank you to our, our good friend curtis for the poster as usual uh, and don't forget to check out our archives at www.reconcinemation.com we're at Reconcinemation Podcast on Twitter, Instagram Facebook, you can always drop us a line there, don't forget to do a rating and a review wherever you get your podcast. so uh, check us out and uh, we are going to be back next time with I'm not going to reveal it but we're going to go back a little bit further in time from from this film so stay tuned we'll be back next week with Reconsinimation Wear the wrong color your life could end Bye now Take care Listen to me, bro. No matter what you do, don't ever join again. You don't want to be in the game. You're just going to end up in the mix again.
just walk like a giant, police defiant. You'll say to stop, but I'll say that I can't. Cause my gang's my family, it's all that I have. I'm a star on the walls, my autograph. You don't like it, so you know where you can go. Cause the streets on my stage and tears my show. Psychoanalyze, try, diagnose me. Why? It wasn't your brother to brutally die, but it was mine. So let me define my territory. Don't cross the line. Don't try to act crazy, cause that shit don't phase me. If you ran like a punk, it wouldn't amaze me, cause my color is death. Though we all want peace, but our war won't end till all wars cease. See, the colors of the street gangs are always in the street, man. I don't want to be down with the situation, man. But I'm in here, I got something better to do. I think I can do it, but right now I'm just down here, boy. I'm trying to make money, because I'm smart, I'm getting paid while I'm out here. I'm going to get that paper, you know what I'm saying? If I had a chance like you, maybe I would be in school. But I'm not, I'm out come, here, come, living come, day to day, come. surviving, and I'm willing to die for my colors. Yo, please stop, because I want y'all to live. This is Ice-T. Peace. Peace.